This afternoon I preach to you the word of God. As we find it in the first commandment, we confess the truth of this commandment in Lord's Day 34 of the Heidelberg Catechism, page 551, especially question and answer 94 and 95. If you'd like to read along, you can find that then on page 551. And the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. What does the Lord require in the first commandment? That for the sake of my very salvation I avoid and flee all idolatry, witchcraft, superstition, and prayer to saints or to other creatures. Further, that I rightly come to know the only true God, trust in him alone, Submit to him with all humility and patience, expect all good from him only, and love, fear, and honor him with all my heart. In short, that I forsake all creatures rather than do the least thing against his will. What is idolatry? Idolatry is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the first commandment states, you shall have no other gods before me. Now what do you think of when you hear the phrase other gods? Talking about other gods may appear to be irrelevant when it's spoken in, in a congregation of believers who publicly just confess that they believe in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the reason we're here. We're not in a mosque or a Buddhist temple because we believe that God, there's only one true God. He is our Lord. So what's the first commandment all about? Well, it's not here to suggest that there are any other gods, but it was given to the people of God after they had been redeemed. And it was given to teach them to remain faithful in their Father's grace, to embrace everything that he has obtained for his people, we could say for us and Jesus Christ, and to enjoy life to the full, keeping in step with the Spirit as we submit to God's will. When there are no other gods, then we are putting our trust completely, fully, completely in the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. And I preach to you this gospel under the theme, the only true God is the only source of all good. We'll see idols, looking at the Old Testament, idolatry, and then the one true God. When the first commandment was given to the people of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, they were in a situation where they were constantly being tempted by the gods of the other nations the gods that the other nations were serving. The gods of other nations represented alternate explanations for the origins of the earth, for the creation of mankind, for the changing seasons, and the different weather patterns, which so directly affected the crops and the well-being. They represented other explanations than the one that God had given to them in his word. 
So by associating different gods with different natural powers, the people on earth felt that they were able to discern what was happening in the heavens based on what they were seeing on the earth. So for example, there is a god, idol, that Canaanites worshipped, and his name was Baal. A lot of children remember the name Baal because of what happened in the time of Elijah. In the stories of the ancients and in those other nations, Baal did not have power all year round. He was only God during the growing season. But every year again, the bad God, Baal's enemy, Mot, he would have a fight with Baal and cause the earth to get dry and hot with desert-like conditions. So with this explanation of the changing of the seasons, they went further and they, they would, would go uh, to try control their God, to try give Baal some extra strength or whatever God it was related to whatever natural power they wanted. And so it gave the people on earth some control over what was happening. They believed it was possible to influence or manipulate the gods by the treatment of these figurines, kind of like action figures, the idols that they would carve or make out of wood or stone and they would produce them and they, they would use those as a gateway to try control the weather, to let the gods know what they wanted. So if you made a nice wooden or a stone idol of Baal, you would try to treat it very kindly to show the God that you believed that was in heaven that, that he was, you wanted to show that you were on the same side as him. You would give him food at the proper time, maybe put a blanket over him at night. And the understanding would be that in turn, he would help you by helping your plants to grow, to make sure on, on your farm, your animals had lots of healthy babies. Well, think about that now. When your livelihood depends on food from your farm, and the food depends on the rain, you could see how tempting it was to rely on the gods of the rain that you could control. If you believe that your special attention to a particular idol is related directly to the blessings of a husband or a wife, or children, or a nice home, or good crops, it would be very, very difficult to, to leave that idol because you might lose exactly what you're looking for. What if it? What if it does happen? And we see just how difficult it was for the Israelites to put away their idols. When we read together Joshua 24, in verse 2, we read that already before Abraham made his way to Canaan, his, his very father worshipped other gods. And then in verse 4, Jacob or Joshua mentions Jacob, the son of Isaac. Think about Jacob. Did he have idols? You remember, even his wife had stolen the household gods from, from Laban long after they had been together, long after Jacob had seen the power of, of God. Jacob's children didn't do much better. After the Lord displayed his, his power over the so-called Egyptian gods, he, he would every one of the plagues is connected to, to show the superior power of the God in heaven. 
And then after destroying the, the nations, the Amorites who had their own gods and then showing that those gods weren't able to help them. And then after Balaam was unable to call upon the forces of darkness to curse God's people, and Joshua's mentioning all these things, after all that, Joshua still has to exhort the people. In verse 14, put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But a temptation it was. The Israelites still had other gods. They still had these idols in their homes. This is called syncretism. It's hedging your bets by worshiping God, but adding in a whole bunch of other powers that you believe can help you. I mentioned that in the catechism, to put your trust instead of or in addition to. Or even after year, even years after the conquest of the promised land, as they lived in the promised land for many, many years, and they were even drawing near to the time of, of exile. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of years later. Isaiah, the prophet, still warns the people that the gods that they were making simply could not deliver what they were hoping for. In his prophecies, Isaiah made it clear that if your so-called God needs the help of men, to stay standing upright, is Isaiah 44. And if you are worshiping pieces of firewood that have eyes but cannot see, mouths cannot speak, eyes but cannot hear, and noses but cannot smell, that's what he's saying in Psalm 115. If that's the case, says Isaiah, you're among those who have been deceived. God wanted his people to know that idols are powerless to get you what you need most. And when Paul then went out to preach the gospel to the nations, he still brought this same message. After pointing out to the newly planted churches that pagan sacrifices are actually being offered to demons, the Holy Spirit warns the churches that you cannot mix the Christian faith with the sins of participating in the meal celebrations and the sexual relations with pagan prostitutes that was culturally acceptable because of their popularity. Idols, idols, other gods all around. Well, how about you? In our cultural setting and in our country, I think that we could pass an entire lifetime without ever once being tempted to worship an idol. We just don't see them around. Never seen one in a pastoral visit. Never heard of one, and even if I've seen one, it's been in a souvenir shop. And yet, understanding the close connection between idols and these different ideologies, different ways of explaining what is happening, we do know that idolatry is something against which we still struggle. That's what the Catechism or Confession is focusing on. We apply some of the warnings about the dangers of 
idols to modern times as we look at them in our confession. We confess that worshiping other gods today means believing that there are powers or forces that can help us and bring us good things, powers outside of God. That's idolatry. Now whether that force be a, a, a god or a teacher other than the one true God who has revealed himself in his word, so that would be like another religion, that's idolatry there, or whether that other force be, be magic, and, and again, if referred to the movies and the books this morning, but it's a real major theme in, in a lot of the, the, the movies that are coming out with, with the superpowers and, and the magical powers, and, and you're an unbeliever if you don't believe in, in the power of, of magic or chance, the whole question of superstitious rights, and if you ever watch a little hockey, they always show how players have all these superstitious rights, these little powers that they can help, and we also know our own struggle with that. Or even turning to holy people who have gone to heaven before us. The catechism refers to those as the so-called saints. In line with, with all the teaching of the Old Testament and the New Testament, we confess that it is still possible to see idolatry in our lives. Idolatry, we confess, is having or inventing something in which to put our trust instead of or in addition to the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. So idolatry is ultimately the belief that our relationship of peace with God in his son, Jesus Christ, is not enough. Idolatry is believing that, that if we just have God in his son, Jesus Christ, we don't have enough. We need something else in order to be fully human or fully content or fully informed. You think of Eve who was offered knowledge for turning away from God. Well, since we keep forgetting about what we have already been given, the gospel that's announced and proclaimed and so repeatedly in our lives, since we keep forgetting what we have already been given, we also keep finding different things to, to fill that perceived need. These things or, or people obtain the power of a stopgap God in modern syncretism that continues to harm God's church and affect God's people. So what kinds of, of things do we as Christians think we need from this temporary and sinful world, even after our Lord Jesus has transferred us from death and darkness to, to light and life in his kingdom. What are we missing? What do we think we're, we're missing? So without agreeing with, with everything that an author, his last name is Driscoll, has written, in one of his books he, he uses the word idols as an acronym to help us identify typical, typical things that distract us from the fullness of what we have in Jesus Christ. And as I was reading, I thought that's very helpful for children as well to understand that idols are more than just those stone things you never ever see in your lifetime. And every letter of the word idols then corresponds with something that can easily cause us to turn away, to forsake God and what he has given us. We can see 
the I for items and the D for duties, O for others, longings, and the S for sufferings. You look at that, you think items, duties, others, longings, sufferings. Is it true? These are things that turn us away from God. Well, most of us who profess our faith in God and who identify ourselves as Christians, first of all, we don't really see that we're depending on those things more than God until they're taken away from us. Until we see what happens to our minds and our hearts when these things are taken away from us. Only then do we start to recognize that we weren't that while we weren't looking, you could say, while we thought everything was okay, our hearts were fabricating gods that we slowly have come to rely on as we feel incomplete and worthless if they're taken away. Just consider for a moment some of these things, how they can replace God as the only source of all good, not in reality, but in our minds. We lean on these things in our attempt to find joy, safety, and satisfaction in this life outside of that which God has given. The eye of the word idols reminds us of how items or possessions often give the power to define us. We're defined by what we own. Now, ownership is not idolatry, but greed and covetousness is. Being wealthy is not idolatry, but turning away from God and his word, even for a moment, to become wealthy, shows that we've made that wealth to be a God, something to define us. Making it our goal to be seen and to be noticed as a wealthy person, rather than being known as a loving Christian, shows idolatry. When your own personal wealth determines your, life, your life's choices, you will be nothing when the economy crashes or a moth shows up or rust destroys your stuff. You see, when you lean on a spider web, you will fall through to the ground. Items are cruel masters, gods that will truly disappoint the idea of the word idols makes us think about how much we value duties in our lives. Do you see yourself as, as more than what you do? Would you still feel valuable and useless in the world or useful in the world if you were suddenly unemployed or forced to retire due to illness or to your age? When we are too busy and occupied with our daily calling too occupied to be faithful to our families and our neighbors and our church communities, well, that's like leaning on a moving train and it will pull you along unceremonially for a while until you lose strength and fall in the ground in a heap all alone. God did not create you to be a slave to your duties. The O of the word idols makes us think about the power that others have over our lives. Many people selflessly live for others. They live for their children. They cannot imagine having life without those children. What, what, 
any meaning without my husband or my wife. Other people are so concerned about the opinions of others that they actually might even leave or join a church based solely on how they have been received. Some people marry in the hope that their spouse will complete them and make them a whole person as they spiral down into codependent relationships. We ask the question, well, what happens when others fail you? What is left for you or for what is left of you or for you if you were depending on people for joy and contentment and appreciation and help your whole life and they're taken away or they leave you or maybe worse yet, they hurt you. See, when you lean on people for meaning in life, it's like leaning on a broken reed. You can expect to be disappointed and probably even hurt. The owl of the word idols can be connected to the longings of a heart that never accepts the situation of today. The undying hope for better times is often a denial of the value of the present situation and a refusal to believe that anything but an easy life or perhaps an easier life is acceptable. The possibility of better days becomes your motivation to to live today. And so you end up grinding along in desperate slavery to the God of a better tomorrow, ignoring the work that God has given you today. Although it may sound optimistic and even humble, this kind of idolatry prevents you from seeing the riches you already have in your hand today. The S of the word idols could be used to bring your thoughts to suffering, suffering and Grieving is always soul-numbing and bitter. But when it becomes the only thing that identifies us, the only thing we see to be true about ourselves when we, we look in a mirror, it can hinder our relationship, our understanding of God's power. In a similar, in a similar way, when the sin we've committed or the consequences of sin committed against us become like the skin on our bodies and the eyes through which we see the world. It can distract us from the fullness of who God is and the fullness of God's love. And so to release us from the slavery of idols, the Lord commands us to trust only in Him. He sets us free from idolatry and He shows himself to us in that first commandment, the one true God. Whenever we allow anything other than God to define us, whenever we allow our identity to be anything other than that which God has made us to be in Jesus Christ, whenever we allow anything other to shape what we do or influence our priorities, it can only harm it can only bring harm. And that is why the Lord commands us not to have any other gods before him. It's a beautiful promise of, of riches and fullness, and love and eternity. When we think about it, kind of going through those 
different kinds of things we may lean on. We can ask the questions, will your car, no matter how nice it is, will your car or your house comfort you when you're hurt by somebody who takes advantage of you? It doesn't even have eyes, nose, we don't even carve that on it. Will your hard work and your faithfulness and your duties, will it bring you the forgiveness of your sins? The slavery to the demands and the opinions of others, does that bring you rest and contentment in your life? Will your longings help you to be faithful in your calling, in your ordinary life today, in your kitchen and in your dining room? and in your classroom and in your work site? Do you see how the first commandment is a blessing for all of us? For it's only when we trust in God alone for everything. It's as we confess it, as we submit to him with all humility, with all patience, we expect all good from him only and love and fear and honor him with all our hearts that we may experience freedom in this life. For the gospel message is that when we are in him, we already have everything we need for this life and for the life to come. We lack nothing. Our Lord Jesus is king of an everlasting kingdom where there are treasures that moth and rust cannot destroy. The good things we receive in this life, food and clothes and cars and houses and gadgets and toys, they're, they're just tools that God has given to us for our time here on earth so that we can use them to glorify him and serve in his kingdom. In him we are made to be more than what we do at our particular job for he has made us as members of a spiritual household, parts of Christ's body with responsibilities to everyone around us. Our Heavenly Father finds delight in our worship, which is larger than our daily task. And so rather than trying to please people in vain attempts to earn approval from human beings, pay attention to the declaration of the eternal judge, Jesus Christ, who valued you, who valued your life so much that he gave his life to make you clean and holy forever in the sight of God. The Lord urges us not to spend our whole life wishing for a different and a better life in the future and so miss the amazing grace and the love of the covenant God who is beside you right now, even as you pass through the, your hardships. Rightly come to know the only true God, and you will know that you can glorify him, even if you don't think you have what you need right now. The commandment opens our eyes to see that indeed we do. For God brings you to his son 
He brings you to Jesus Christ and he makes you a part of his body, his church, and he has given his spirit to dwell right within us. His blood washes your sins away. His spirit transforms you with a new heart so that you will lose nothing good about yourself. When you move on from bad years to face the next challenges in your life, experience his power and you will understand why God does not want you to turn away from him to serve other gods. When we read Joshua 24, we could see that was the contrast. They said, never will we forsake God to turn to other gods. You can't have it both ways, said Joshua. He warned them. He says, you don't want to do that. God is holy. To receive the fullness of blessing, it is a full, wholehearted commitment. That's what the Lord also wants for us. He is a personal God. He rules over the heavens and the earth. And he brings anyone, everyone who believes in him right into this eternal kingdom of his son. You have already received everything in Jesus Christ for this life and for the life to come. And that's why Paul said everything is good if it is received with thanksgiving. And so here we are surrounded by endless ideas, objects, tasks, people, promises, and powers that we can be deceived into believing will help us. And many of them have been made into gods, just like the idols of the surrounding nations of Israel. Many of them have snuck into our own homes, like the household idols that Rachel hid under the saddle of her animal. Many of them remain like the idols in the tents of Israel, even while they were swearing allegiance to the Lord, the only true God. The gospel message of the first commandment is that you can let them go. You don't need to find meaning in things or people or other powers. You can leave it and God will take care of you. You can let them go, and you will not miss them, for you already have everything in Jesus Christ. And so we can sing together a psalm like 115 about idols, with eyes that cannot see, and noses that cannot smell. And we can realize that those psalms are talking about idolatry, about the temptation to doubt God's provision. But we know that in Jesus Christ, we are children of the Most High God. And he is the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the end. Amen.